and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Game day starts right here. I'm Tim and friends, including the Leafs and Lightning coming up on Sportsnet, immediately following the NHL Draft Lottery, which comes your way in just over an hour's time right here on Sportsnet. Lay down the clicker. It is a great time to be a sports fan. In fact, we got best of threes all over the joint. That's right, kids. There's a time to play and there's a time to win. It is winning time right now. In the NHL, six of the eight series are now best of threes, all tied up at two. In the NBA, three of the four series in their conference semifinals tied at two. That's nine of 12 in both leagues, mm. locked at two games apiece. So I know what you're thinking, Jesse. Well, we looked it up together. How big are these games? Listen, when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs in best of seven series, tied at two games apiece, the winner of game five goes on to win the series 79.1% of the time. In the NBA, the number is even higher. Winner of game five goes on to win the series 82.4% of the time. Who will make critical plays? Who will make critical mistakes? We begin to find out tonight. Ron McLean will help provide the blueprint in about 10 or 15 minutes. Shai Davidi also in the first hour as the Jays start, dare I say, as big a week as you can get in the month of May in the game of baseball. It all starts with a mini two-game series in the Bronx. Sam Cosentino sits down with top prospect Shane Wright. Jason, uh, Justin Bourne is also stopping by. Sean McKenzie, Gene Prince-Bay from Toronto and Edmonton, respectively. We are just 90 minutes today as the NHL's draft lottery takes our place at 6.30 Eastern. But I doubt, I doubt, Jesse Rubinoff, that the NHL draft lottery can beat our headline of the day, which comes to us from refined French football club Lyon, who sent Brazilian center back Marcelo to the reserves for, and I quote, farting in the dressing room and laughing about it. From the story, Jesse, it's claimed he was demoted to the club's reserve side by former sporting director Juninho, a fellow Brazilian, for farting in the dressing room and laughing about it. I like the specification there. <laughs> Not just farting. Farting would be one thing. No, yeah. But laughing about it. The laughing about it. That is something different altogether. That was overboard. You went overboard <laughs> with the laughing about it. No, I would have got a... kicked off a lot of high school. Games, <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right I was, now. I was going to say, I can't even keep a straight face. I was going <laughs> to try and say, look, there's a time and place for levity. And obviously he wasn't reading the room properly. I got nothing. I couldn't even do it. I couldn't even trick you there. <laughs> is it just me or is it even better in French? Marcelo <laughs> Ecarté. A cause de flatulence dans la vestiaire. <laughs> flatulence nice. dans la vestiaire. So good. Uh, by the way, he had to go to Twitter to deny the reports. <laughs> so good. Imagine having to go to Twitter to deny the reports of you. Fu- Thanks, Lake Keep. <laughs> <laughs> How does it get that far? Like wh- journalism nowadays is a joke. Yeah, Jesse, just, the pipeline of how that becomes a story, I just don't, I don't get how that happens. Sorry, the, the what? The how, someone someone creates that in the, or hears about it or whatever, makes it up, 
and then other people along the way say, yeah, you know, run with it. Good story. No, they, they knew exactly what would happen. Yeah. That headline would be picked up by every major media. Including us. In North America, including us. <laughs> Tough act to follow, but that's... Uh, Let's do our best to crop dust the stories of the day with first things first. What's the plan, Chuck Assman? Chuck Assman. Oh, you don't know your Chuck Assman? No, that, that's that's that, a real name. It is. Oh, without a doubt. Actually, it was Charles out of the University of Guelph, played in the CFL. I have, a, I have a football card on my computer because I thought maybe you would say to me there's no way that that's true. But it is true. Charles. Your boy. Charles. I mean, Charles your changes boy. things a little bit. Yeah. Charles Ake. No, 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 no. When you he played Steve, at Guelph. Listen. Charles Assman. I think it was Assman. Oh, okay. It was more of an Assman. <laughs> That's not how you said it. And when, no, when he played at, at Guelph, he was Chuck Assman. Right. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Thank you for the clarification. Should, uh, get one. Assman. Assman sounds totally normal. Assman. Mm. Oh, completely different. Yeah. yeah, I see what you're saying. Completely yeah. and utter. Assman, Assman, completely Emphasis different. Emphasis on the wrong syllable. You get yourself <laughs> get in some trouble here. there. You'll read the card. <laughs> it's so good. Read the card. Assman. It says Assman. Yeah. yeah, was that his license plate on uh, his car? No. The Assman. All right. Love it. Reference. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, let's begin with a big win for the Calgary Flames last night. Calgary Pepper Jake Ottinger with a playoff franchise record. 54 shots in regulation en route to a 4-1 win to even the series at two games apiece. Is this what we've been waiting to see from the Flames? But hold on. Like, this is a slow build, right? Like, you don't just get there. you got to build towards it. And the Calgary Flames built towards it. Here's your shot on goal totals from game one to game four. Game one, 26 for Calgary, 29 in game two. They peppered 41 in game three and didn't get anything for it because Jake Ottinger and then 54, which is a franchise record for shots in regulation. The Stars had 39 shots on goal in the first two games combined. Combined. They had 54 in game number four. Do you remember when I was talking about trusting your talent? Yep. When it came to the Calgary Flames? This is exactly what I was talking about. And even then... At, there was a 39th shot on goal midway through the second period that they finally got their goal. They had been lobbying for more five-on-five play in this series because they thought that their talent was better than the Stars' talent, and they needed the power play goal from Rasmus Anderson to get on the board with their 39th shot of the game. The, the one thing I wonder is, like, did they just bust through the dam? Like, is it... Jake Ottinger. The levy broke. We said yesterday. Yeah. Call Led Zeppelin. The levy has broken. Um, Jake Ottinger has been unbelievable. And he's been, I just, I don't know how he continues that. And what I saw was the Calgary Flames um, turn into the avalanche and just overwhelm Dallas with their talent. Although it was touch and go for a while. Yeah, so what does that say about Calgary's sort of resiliency and character that they're peppering Jake Jake Ottinger repeatedly. They can't break through. And you have at least a goaltender that's on your end, Jacob Markstrom, that's getting the job done and holding you in there until you can finally break through. What does it say about that team? Markstrom made, like, highlight reel saves. Markstrom was really good. It was just lost in the idea that Ottinger was so good. But... (laughs) Jacob Markstrom was really good. I, I don't think you'll know the answer to that till the end of this round and maybe into the next round or the third round. Did they prove something to themselves? You and I talked about this. 
both these teams enjoy playing the game the same way, which is try and shut it completely down. And Calgary, to Daryl Sutter's credit, opened it up a little bit over Mm -hmm. the last two games. They didn't get the result in game number three. In game number four, they get the result. It feels like you go back to Calgary, you take a series lead, and you might even win in six games after what was kind of sort of touch and go. But... To assume that, given what we've seen in the postseason this year outside of Colorado, and let's be honest, a massive injury to UC Soros that changed the complexion of whatever that series was going to be, even though we knew that Colorado was probably going to win. Like Every other series outside of that has been jaw-dropping in its shifts in momentum and inability to predict. So I'm not going to start predicting now, but it does feel like the levy is broken. It does feel like Calgary did it the right way. And I love the fact. Absolutely love the fact. And I know that there are, um, Ken Reed would call them nerds. I would call them new look fans uh, <laughs> who would wonder why the bleep Milan Lucic started at center in that game. And to me, after Jamie Ben challenged. Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. And you and I sat here and had conversations with people about Matthew Kachuk being distracted in the last two games by, of all people, John Klingberg. What this did, what Lucic did was he said, you're not doing any of that. Fight me if you want to fight someone. If you're going to fight anyone on this ice right now, it's not going to be that dude. You're not doing what you did in the previous game and taking one of our best players out of it or at least preoccupying him for times. He's not doing any of that junk. And Milan Lucic stepped up. I loved it. I thought, wow, like this is, what are they, they going to do? Like, where are we going to go with this? Is this going to be more of a distraction? Nah. He, he knows how to play that game. He knows how to walk that line of being aggressive and not being stupid mm-hmm. because he is one of the heavyweight champs in the game. And I, I thought, you know, like, shots fired right off the opening draw. Yeah, value for, uh, I guess, a quote-unquote enforcer, although he can do a lot more than uh, enforce. Uh, you mentioned the Calgary Flames opening it up. And that led to a penalty shot from Johnny Goudreau. And if you were waiting for the Stars to sort of get going... Uh, Johnny Goudreau finally breaks the seal with a nasty move uh, on the penalty shot. I love when you say the stars get going, referring to Johnny Goudreau. Referring to Johnny Goudreau, It can yes. be confusing. I know exactly Double what you're entendre. talking about. For those who don't know, yes. he's referring to the first line. He's also referring to Johnny Goudreau, who is a probably, presumably, Hart Trophy finalist Yeah. to get going. And listen, you could see that he was playing really well. I mean, he was concussed, right? Like, can we say that, or are we just not allowed to say that? Because, I mean, well, you say he's got a, like, well, that was bell rung was like woozy. 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know if you can say woozy anymore. It, woozy, it doesn't woozy, like, automatically make it a concussion? Yeah, I mean. I mean, it, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but, yeah. yeah like not, none of us concussed. are doctors, but it looked like he was concussed, and it looked like he pulled the Paul Correa and came back to the game. I'm, I, listen, I'm not saying he didn't pass all the protocols. I'm not saying he didn't do the thing that he's supposed to do, even though he played a shift after he did the thing. He was really good when he came back into the game. And it feels like part of that levy breaking maybe Johnny Gaudreau kind of sort of figuring out and trusting his own talent that it will come. And a cheeky move under that much pressure. And it, like, it wasn't over until they got that second goal, right? <laughs> no, not at all, because Ottinger was standing on his head. 
And Markstrom was forced to make real big yeah. saves. Like, you felt like you needed, if you were a Calgary fan and you were watching that, you were not relaxed until it was 2 nothing. And even then, the, the, the sphincter was a little tight, let's be honest. Yeah. So you would think, uh, given Johnny Goudreau finally breaking through, uh, Daryl Sutter would actually maybe say something to him, but it appears that uh, did not did not happen. <laughs> no. Have a listen. Anything from Sutter after you score that goal when you get back to the bench? Nope, not a word. <laughs> Come on, he didn't say, you think he's saving it for post game or in the plane or what? No, nothing. He just came in and said, "Good game, best of three." That's it. And then walked out. So. <laughs> no fist bump. Not even a uh, fist no. bump. Nothing. I love that. So I love everything about it. Just Daryl Sutter to a T. I love that everyone knows that it's Daryl Sutter yeah. to a T, and that's why everyone's chuckling. Yeah, great game for Goudreau. Uh, they out, Calgary outchanced Dallas 27-14 when he was on the ice last night. Just a, a great performance from him leading the Flames to victory. Okay, lots of other hockey top to talk about. Top line was the top line. Yes, they were. Special players made special plays on special days. It was a special day for the Calgary Flames last night. You know who else it was a special day for? Mm-hmm. The man we can't stop talking about, Sidney Crosby, because the Pittsburgh Penguins blew out the Rangers to put them on the brink. After another rough night for Igor Shosturkin, what's going on? Carter Verhage was the overtime hero for the Panthers, who mounted a comeback win against the Caps to tie that series at two, and the Avalanche completed the sweep of the Predators. Timmy, what stood out to you most from last night? Uh, from today, this beat. Yeah, th- this is new. Yeah. This is new. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I was feeling that. Who's too. in audio today? Uh, uh, uh. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so much here from last night. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, later. Turn it up. Here we go. Uh. So much of the music is from 1980 around here. I love that we got something new. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to say Sidney Crosby has been the best player in the postseason, but I have a little conflict in my brain with Kale McCarr. But Sidney Crosby has been the best forward through four games in the National Hockey League postseason, in this his 16th straight postseason appearance, <laughs> he seems inevitable. Like it might be a good time to sprinkle on the pens because he seems like this—he's winning the cup. I, listen, how, how you could think that Louis Domingue was going to outplay Igor Shesterkin? I have no idea. I don't know if the pens are for real moving forward. Tristan Jari trying to come back. What I do know is that dude, that eight-seven, is unbelievable, yep. and he never stops. So for me, like. Best player in the postseason, Makar or Crosby? So far. Four games in means nothing. Small sample size. I understand it. But we're allowed to sit here and be jaw-dropped at the fact that Cal Makar has 10 points and Sidney Crosby has 10 points or 9 points? 9, nine points. Nine. Nine. He's second only to Makar. I think if I, if I had to choose one, I'd probably say... Brad Marchand's I, I'd probably say Makar. Because just given what we're seeing from a defenseman, this is revolutionary stuff. Do you know that the 10 points through four games for Kale McCarr is the most by any D-man ever in the National Hockey League? Small sample size. I get it. I understand it. Look what this kid does. It's almost not surprising when you see him play. Like, really? Like, you're seeing the moves. That, like, look at this move. What is that? Do you, you know who he reminds me of most? Paul Coffey in his prime. Right. Where the skating ability is just so much better than most on the ice. And then you add like an offensive flair to the game. And I feel like Cal McCarr may have watched video growing up in Calgary. I know he was like Red Mile days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he may have watched some. Someone might have said, hey, 
You, sh you should look at that number seven no doubt. up in Edmonton from back in the day. Just Google it. Put it on YouTube. See what you see. Because he's got a lot of Paul Conley. Watch it morning after morning. Um, for context, Nathan McKinnon said last night after the game, Kale McCarr uh, might be the best player in the league right now. Uh, that, I don't think, is uh, looking into just the playoffs. I think he's speaking just overall the best player in the league. Obviously, it's his teammate, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. And Nathan McKinnon could be up for that category as well. He could also be the top player. But uh, pretty amazing. Um, Once my thoughts from Bet Rivers have those two guys. Yeah, there you overwhelming go. Overwhelming favors. There you go. Uh, although they're the only ones through, right? So that's, They're going to be hard to stop. Too. No, no, no. But just for a second, the reason why they're the overwhelming favorites right now is because they're through. They Jacob Marshall might not get through. Austin Matthews might not get through. Barkoff might not get through. Uberdo might not get through. So you, you put the team that's already through higher on the odds. Do you understand? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, they're just kicking back, so it's... it's no, a but they're through. The other ones could yeah. lose in the first yeah. round. No, no, I and you're I never mean, winning the comps, Mike, if you're not through it. Yes. Right. It would, yes. The odds would be lower for a team that has to play Game 5 tonight, which a bunch of teams have to play yeah. Game 5s tonight. The Leafs and the Oilers uh, tonight with the series tied at 2-2. As you stated, the winner of Game 5 goes on to win the series 79% of the time. Is that a super stat? Or a meaningless number to Leafs and Oilers fans right now. It's a super stat. Yeah, it is. It's a super. Listen, I, I know where you're trying to lead me on that one or where the producers are trying to lead me on that one. But if 80% of the teams that win game five in a series tied 2-2 or 79.1 to be exact move on, then that is a super stat. However, I get it if you're a Leaf and or an Oilers fan who has lived the, the life that you have lived for the last little while. Oilers fans had some glory days. The Leafs, I don't know how many fans are still around from their glory days. They have lived a absolutely tortured life. And I get why you wouldn't care about stats. All you'd care about is two more wins. Mm -hmm. I understand it, but this is an absolutely huge game for both of them. And the Leafs respond by basically not touching the lineup. And the Oilers respond by shuffling the lineup. Which one do you like better? Because I'm a little mystified here. I, th I thought, and I'm not saying that I know more than Sheldon Keefe. I'm going to watch and see if the proof is in the pudding. But I thought he might shuffle a defenseman. And I thought he might shuffle one of the bigger, stronger guys back into the lineup. But it looks like he hasn't done it. The only thing that we saw in the morning skate line rushes was that Tavares and Nylander were split up again. Yeah, I think this speaks more to, uh, it feels like the fan base and, and the media, quite frankly, uh, were more upset with the way the Leafs played in Game 4 than Sheldon Keefe was. And if he was really upset with the way they played, I think he would have seen some significant changes here. But now, the, face, the, the facts, they've beaten Andre Vasilevsky three times in each game here, and that is a bit of a silver lining. So if you can clean it up, I think Sheldon Keefe probably has some, some faith in his lineup here. Sheldon Keefe said that Giordano and Hall were among his best after watching the tape in Game 4. Yeah, but, I get that. But listen, I, 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 if you look at the penalty killing, like you might want to go with 7-D and just put Hall out on penalty kill because he is a good penalty killer. Yep. Um, I, I, I'll listen to that more than I'll listen to what you said, which is that he wasn't upset at Game 4. Well, I don't think they think that, or I don't know if this is how the players feel, but the, the public perception that he is giving is that they truly are not phased. Obviously, we've seen this year after year after year. No, but how do you, it's, it's, how do you come out flat 
in a game against the two-time defending cup champs with a chance to put a stranglehold in the series on the road. Like, with the stat that everyone's seen. Like, this is my everyone point. saw the 15-0 and stat from Vasilevsky. Everyone saw the 50 straight games <laughs> without losing. Like, it breaks the... It smashes the record set by the Glory Days Canadians. Like, of the late 70s. It is... what Like, what... Tampa does after a loss is now at legendary status, and yet still the Leafs came out flat against that team that set that record against those Canadians teams. I am with you, but what Keith said after game four, where he said, we, we came to Tampa, we're now leaving with a split. No, I know, but is he talking to his own team? Sorry. No, no, Continue. no, it, it's, it, it's possible. And we saw in the Amazon Prime uh, documentary... Um, what that, he says, that what he says to the media is not exactly oftentimes what he says to the team. So that is definitely a possibility. Good but the way he framed it, certainly to the media, was that the goal was to come here and get a split. They got a split. So irrespective of how they played in game four, he's comfortable with that because they know they're going home with two opportunities at home if necessary to win. I don't know. The, I wish I had a lie detector fan, on The Leaf fan base take that pisses me off the most right now is they were embarrassed in Game 4 and they're going to come out strong in Game 5. Listen, if you need to be embarrassed in the playoffs that you have struggled to get out of the first round since I was in diapers, basically, then you need to find another gig. Like... If that's the motivation that you need after falling flat on your face repeatedly in the first round, you are not winning. I'm sorry. You need to find your own motivation. You don't need the two-time defending champs to hand you your own ass on the road to find some sort of motivation. That, to me, is ridiculous. By the way, uh, the Kings are shuffling lines. Uh, I just want—I mentioned it, but Yamamoto goes back on the first line. Hyman goes to the second line with Ryan McLeod. Drysaddle in the middle of mm-hmm. McLeod and Hyman, and it looks like Puya Yarvi and Archibald will be on the wings for RNH. So some shuffles for the Oilers after what was another bad start. We've seen that happen before with Edmonton repeatedly this year. Not really under Jay Woodcroft. We'll see if he pulls the right strings after what was kind of sort of a head scratcher in Game Four. I mean, you dominate the way you did in Games Two and Three. Only to fall flat. I know Johnny Quick was good, but the Oilers can't have those slow. They haven't had many games like that under Jay Woodcroft. So shots were what twenty to ten after one period for LA. You can't have that. Lack of a killer instinct. Both teams are plagued by that at the moment. Okay, to basketball we go, and without John Morant, the Grizzlies put up a fight, but let Game Four slip away as the Warriors took a three-one series lead, while the Celtics welcomed an unexpected performance from Al Horford, who had a playoff career-high 30 points, leading Boston to the Game 4 win. Tim, are you surprised a guy like Horford no. sparked the Celtics? No. I mean, they pissed him off. They did. Al Horford Giannis was pissed did. off. Yeah. Giannis pissed off Al Horford, and we saw something from Al Horford that we haven't seen maybe since Florida and back-to-back national championships. This is what good teams do. They find people to help their superstars. We're talking about it in the NHL. We're talking about it in the NBA. And I will give you the evidence. 
you're going if you're going to be a good team, you're going to need a guy like Al Horford every once in a while to come up with a big game and steal you one. Giannis did not get that. He had just six points, three and seven shooting in the fourth quarter because he ran out of gas. And because Chris Middleton is out and because Drew Holiday was five of 22 from the floor, the Bucks lost the game. Yep. Your superstars are going to be your superstars 80 to 90 percent of the time. What happens in the other 10%? That's the difference between good and great in both the NBA and the NHL. You need other people to be able to find it. And without Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, you're next. And Giannis has been unbleeping believable, but he ran out of gas. And the Celtics had Al Horford. The Celtics are a fun team to watch. Uh, as are, <laughs> it's always fun to watch Giannis. But I am truly, and this is blasphemous, I've said this before. As someone who follows the Raptors as closely as I do and grew up obviously a Raptors fan, watching the Celtics is fun because they bust their tail yeah, relentlessly, yeah. and that's fun as a fan. They have that culture. Phoenix has that culture. Yeah. Milwaukee at its best has that culture, but not all the time. No. Not all the time. And Boston seems to bring it more often. All right. Big night, big show. Shai Davidi from Yankee Stadium. On a week uh, as big as they come in May, I'm going to say it again, Justin Bourne, does he think that Sheldon Keefe is being outcoached? And up next, Ron McLean joins us to discuss if he thinks the refs are doing a good job. We've got some interesting stats to bring your and Ron's way. Tim and friends, the best time of year, and we hope that your game day always starts right here. Here is Anadokounmpo with a throwdown. So they're calling the foul on Anadokounmpo. He sort of stares down Horford. Oh yeah, it's a taunt. Horford gets by Giannis and throws it down and one. Al Horford, a primal scream. He clobbers another one. Deep right field. Back his angle. He's out of room. It's out of here. Naylor's done it again. Are you reading the stuff like? Idiots like me, right? I really don't mean as as much. Um, try you not, say it. Try no, not to offend. No, 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 you can say it to me. It's okay. I really don't care about them. I believe that I'm deserving of being that number one spot, and I believe that I'm going to be the first pick. Oh, what a night! And I'm not going to sing it. That'd be cliche and probably like Cancun or something like that. Four games, including the Leafs and Lightning, Oilers and Kings, and that's not all. Following us at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific, it is the NHL Draft Lottery, otherwise known as the Shane Wright Sweepstakes, followed by Hockey Central on Sportsnet. Then it's Game 5s. From Toronto and Edmonton, if Canadian content isn't your thing, Sportsnet 360, we have the Bruins and Canes, followed by the Blues and Wild. All series deadlocked at 2, heading into crucial game number fives our fine our friend ron mcclain knows that the number hovers around 80 percent for winners of games five at two apiece and that's part of the reason why we've enlisted the host of rogers hometown hockey and hockey night in canada to quote blanche Devereaux, ron thank you for being a friend 
You know, Ooh, What a Night, Tim, is the first concert I ever saw. April Wine, Memorial Center in Red Deer, the Stand Back Tour. Uh, And that song, yeah, it was fantastic that you made that reference. So I am into Canadian content, and April Wine's right there. But, yeah, nice to be with you. Hold it. Before we get rolling here, on behalf of my colleagues, Kevin Bieksa, you cannot have him come in here willy-nilly, run roughshod over the rest of the team on Hockey Night in Canada (laughs) the way he did last night. It was a disgrace (laughs) to have him come on and talk about Justin Hall and say he's the only one who likes Hall. Right. And then say, I hate to say it, I don't mean to throw anybody under the bus, but everybody I work with, like me and Elliot and Kelly, they right. all say there's something wrong with Justin Hall. Right. And I phoned the lighting director immediately and I said, dim the lights, <laughs> dim the lights on Kevin Bieksa. This is unacceptable. And they were really good. They, yeah. they know what's hey, listen, going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, listen, yeah. I took a dim view of you, Kevin. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you didn't call Kevin dim because then we might have had a different right. conversation. Uh, oh. So let me get to that in a flash. The, uh, another reason why I was looking forward to this conversation is that you know that I've always appreciated your sober second thoughts and, right. and your ability to kind of break it down, take a step back and understand. And right across North America, the most popular chant by far right now is Refuse Suck. Um, have you noticed a difference in the player, in the playoffs, excuse me, in the way this is being officiated? Or is this just the modern world of replays and super slow mos? for referees in all sports. Well, let me throw it right back at you because we had kind of this conversation a year ago. Are you happy with the officiating, Tim? I can't can't recall you complaining about it this year, or are you? No, here's... (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm of two minds, honestly, and I, I don't know where I'm at because... I've been troubled by the refs not calling the rule book in the past. Right. And I feel like they're looking at me straight in the eye and saying, this is the way you wanted it, isn't it? This is what you wanted. But my issue has always been consistency. And that, to me, seems like the hardest thing to do for an official is to keep it consistent. What you're looking at right here is the number of penalties called per game. And we went and looked it up. And listen, in eight of the last, I believe, 11 years, the number has gone up yes. in the postseason. Ten for years in a row. Penalties called. This year it's gone up from 7.42 penalties per game in the regular season to 11.84 wow. in the postseason, which seems like a significant number to me. Well, a couple of things on that. First of all, there have been some line brawls. That adds to the number. And as you know, there have been all these lopsided games. So when you have lopsided games where there's uh, over 20 decided by three or more goals, you have more penalties called late in games just out of frustration. So I I think the officiating has been terrific. I mean, you can certainly find a call here and there. But I look at last night, uh, you know, Sheldon Keith, you can't even talk about refereeing in this series being a a factor. I think it's been excellent. And I thought watching game four Calgary-Dallas last night in Dallas, the penalty shot to Goodrow, uh, a couple of other things, five on three at a crucial moment. And uh, Greg Millen had foreshadowed, you know, this game will be decided on special teams, which it generally is, which is why you have to really think carefully as a referee about the role you're going to play, uh, the scarcity or the sanctity of a goal power plays change all that so you do have a significant contribution to the outcome and I think the refereeing was great in the Dallas game Uh, they're dealing with Jamie Ben who's running all over the place they're dealing with Kachuk and Klingberg and so that's all happening those are the reasons the numbers are up and as the league said 10 straight years there have been more penalties in the playoffs per game than in the regular season so they don't put the whistles away is the moral of that story Do, do you do you think they're calling it a little tighter this year? Because I, there's the, the one side to me where it feels like they're calling the rule book. Mm-hmm. But what you said is true. We've had a lot of line brawls. We've had um, you know some out-of-touch out, out games where guys Bingo. take some liberties. So you don't think it's more of the rule book? 
I, I think they wanted to make it clear that they would call the rules. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what you were saying a year ago, Tim, I think the league is on your side there. So they right. are giving you what you want, and I hope you're happy with it because, uh, <laughs> know you know, like uh, David Adams Richards, a senator, a great writer, wrote a book called Hockey Dreams. And when everything changed after Brendan Shanahan's summit, I said, what do you think of it, David? Because he liked kind of the old school. Yeah. He says, ah, oh, Ron, whatever they do, you kind of get used to it. And I think that's the, the yeah. truth. Uh, I think the playoffs have been fantastic. You know, you've got Colorado's Colorado, and they did what they did because Nashville didn't have their goalie is probably a factor. Uh, but after that, you've got all these series tight. So <laughs> what my, my theory, my new theory, Tim, on this whole thing is we're giving away the Stanley Cup for the third year in a row in the summertime. Right. Three straight years in the summertime, and that's why we're having all these flip-flops. I will say this. Uh, I do give the referees a hard time. I have the ultimate for respect for what they do. Let right. me go back to BX for a moment uh, and Justin Hall. Yeah. And I, I sent the clip over uh, for you. Uh, you know, he, he's right about Justin Hall. Maybe, maybe within our discussions, our private uh, internal conversations that mm -hmm. are, you know, our safe space, except with Bieksa. Uh, <laughs> Justin Hall is character, and Kevin knows that, and he knows that he's a responsible D-man who had a good year, and he knows that a coach has to have faith in him to come back with him as he is tonight for the fifth game. Let me give you an example. Toronto booed Larry Murphy out of town. You might yep. remember that, right, Tim? Yep. Uh, and it happened to him in Washington, too. Larry Murphy, folks, was a first-round pick, fourth overall in 1980, Los Angeles. He ended up winning the Stanley Cup for Scotty Bowman in Pittsburgh and Bowman got him into Detroit in 1997. They could not win for losing Detroit. Mm -hmm. And he found Larry Murphy, who all the fans in Toronto didn't like. He got him for a future considerations. It was kind of a salary dunk, Cliff Fletcher. But anyway, they get him. Then the next year, they get Jamie McCowan, who the fans were all over in Toronto. Yeah. Their core four was Bob Rose and Dmitry Miranoff, all ex-Leafs. Of course, Nick Lidstrom was there. Uh, but that just goes to show, if you can identify a, a quality individual, as Scotty Bowman certainly knew Larry Murphy was, uh, yeah, it's the right thing to, to support Justin as, uh, as Kevin did. It's funny because I was going to ask you about that scrutiny and whether or not that's changed over the year. I feel like it's a Canadian thing, though. Like, you look at Justin Schultz, who sure. couldn't play in Edmonton and all of a sudden goes to Pittsburgh, and he's a big part of what they're doing there. We've seen it with Jeff Petrie even wasn't good enough for Edmonton, then became a huge part of what Montreal was doing last year in the proper spot. Mm -hmm. Then this year, with Shea Weber out, he's pushed into a different spot, and he's getting the heat again. Like, I feel like defensemen in Canada, like, you're going to make a mistake, and the scrutiny is just so tough. Well, try playing net. Yeah, there you see Jack it. Campbell. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's the same thing, right? We love our game, and we, yeah. we are entitled to, you know, we're, one night we're awarding the consmite, the next night we're, you know, sending them to prison. But that's just because we're also invested. Uh, as, as Pat Burns used to say with respect to the starting lineup, he said there's 35 million people in Canada, and they all know who Toronto should start tonight <laughs> right. and can't for the life of them figure out how the one dummy uh, who doesn't know who to start tonight, <laughs> got the job the as team. head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So. Uh, all right, let's, let's hammer down on Keith just for a second because today he said that a big part of his job is managing his players' emotions. And I noticed, and Jesse noticed after game four, uh, where I expected maybe a little bit of a beatdown, he gave him the old, well, we got a split, which is such a contrast to what we're hearing with Daryl Sutter and Johnny Gaudreau talking to the TNT crew. And... and is that a difference in the coach or the players the coach is dealing with in your mind? 
Well, you have to be you first and foremost. I think there's a there's a little bit of manipulation in all coaching, uh, yeah. but I think Daryl is Daryl. And I remember Bob Clark saying to me years ago, "You should try to pick a coach that's apropos to the city you're in." So the Philadelphia Flyers need a they need a Broad Street bully, right. somebody in command uh, who can deal with the media, can deal with the fan base. Um, I, I just love what Sheldon has done. You know, I, he gets accused of stroking them a little too much, of godding up the players after a win, and maybe they, maybe that's why they're one and eight in situations where they have series lead. Is they, they just don't seem to feel the urgency after a satisfactory performance, but. I like what he does. He's 17 years into his coaching career. He's made the playoffs every year. He's won the Calder Cup. He's won the Centennial Cup. Uh, he just knows what he's doing. He's, uh, I think, you know, very truthful with the media in a way that I used to enjoy Paul Maurice. I always felt yeah. it was a teachable moment every time Maurice was at the rostrum, and I feel that way with Sheldon Keefe. So it's, uh, you know, he's, he's supported them. He knows this is a 60-goal scorer in Austin Matthews. Uh, this is a... You know, John Tavares is a, a guy that's 70% on faceoffs that is kind of crucial, isn't producing offensively just yet. He got a couple of goals out of Nylander who throws snow, but that's Nylander. Uh, and he's got Mitchell Marner, who's dealing with a buddy, you know, in Sorelli, Anthony Sorelli, yeah. and they, you know, they train together, they know each other intimately, and that, that checking line is every bit the challenge that a, you know, a Patrice Bergeron or a Jonathan Taves line would be. But Keith knows all that, and he, I think his perspective is probably very welcome because they seem like a really sharp group uh, to deal with, and I think his honesty is probably very much appreciated. Yeah, without a doubt, and home ice will play a factor in mm. that matchup today, and I loved Kyle Bukowskis with John Cooper during your pregame show. Cooper just Can said. I show the Jamie McCowan clip? Do you know about this? Uh, no, I, did, I, I didn't know about this. Okay, so I sent over a clip. This is okay. the last thing on character, and then I'll get off and let you do something yeah. important. Uh, <laughs> Jamie McCowan, this, this is from important. the 94... Third round, yeah. uh, Greg Adams in overtime. Look at Felix Potvin. Crestfallen goes into the net. Now, Jamie McCowan, who the fans had abandoned, he'd already won a cup in Calgary. The rink attendant will come out. He pushes the net off, just wants to go home and have a drink. There's McCowan standing over Felix. This is long after the goal went in, and McCowan stands there, and he stands there. Uh, and that's the kind of character you want. Jamie would go on to Detroit, as I mentioned, and he would win another Stanley Cup. And... So yeah. I think, you know, the Leaf deal, when you've got Mark Giordano, uh, you know, out there with uh, Hall, I think you're, you're just two character players. Uh, it'll be a great test for them tonight, and they're, they're against the two-time Stanley Cup champs, but I think, like you said, the crowd and, uh, and that character will be a joy to watch. Uh, there's so much more that we don't see, and I love that you guys always take the time to make sure that we do see it. Ron, thanks for this. Cheers. And Jesse, I'll come and meet you one of these days. <laughs> and Justin Bourne. Looking forward to it. <laughs> and Justin Bourne, yeah. I've never met Justin. <laughs> going on? Ron was saying during the break, he hasn't met Jesse or Justin. Crazy, we're having both of them on the show. Ron, thank you. There's Ron McClain. After the break, we'll head to the Bronx. We'll check in with Shai Davidi. Jays start a mini two-game series with the Yankees trying to pick themselves up after a rough week. We will tee up an important week with Shai Davidi from the ballpark next right here on Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends continues with the Jays and Yankees coming up on Sportsnet 1. Jays Central gets you set at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Jays went 2-5 and five last week, so we'll be looking to turn things around in the opener. Yusei Kikuchi facing Luis Severino in your pitching matchup. The lineup to face Severino, Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, top three. Teoscar, four, in the cleanup spot. Lourdes Gurriel, Jr., fifth. Alejandro Kirk, Matt Chapman, Santiago Espinal continuing to hit well. Tyler Hanneman, bats ninth and catches 
Jose Kikuchi. All right, Shai Davidi joins us from beautiful Yankee Stadium. And Shai, the focus yesterday was 17 and 13. I hope I got people to see that 17 and 13 after 30 games and 31 days is pretty damn good. But it obviously wasn't the easiest schedule to start the season. Are you surprised, that all said, that this team is 17th in the major leagues in runs scored at this point? I think that's a surprising thing. It's The 17-13 and 13 is actually a good record through this stretch when you consider they had the hardest schedule in baseball. You know, they got six against the Astros. This is uh, game eight of nine against the Yankees. They had six against the Red Sox. I mean, they faced a lot of meat grinder teams. And the fact that they've gotten to this point is pretty good. And then when you consider that they've pitched to this, essentially pitched to this record, as opposed to hit their way to it, I think that the Blue Jays will certainly take it. It's literally not the route they were counting on. They expect to be a team that outslugs their opponents. They haven't really done that much. Instead, they've pitched and defensed their way to all these victories. So I think the Blue Jays are pretty satisfied about that. But I think the route that they've taken is very surprising. What's the key to seeing the explosiveness in this lineup again? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I had an interesting chat with Charlie Montoya before the game, and you know he was talking a little bit about how the bottom of the lineup hasn't been able to get on base a lot to turn things over for the top, and that was when they started doing that last year. That's when he saw a lot of the success. And you know this stat, I haven't had a chance to check update it, but I looked it up on Friday, and George Springer at that point was sixth in the uh, on the Blue Jays in terms of plate appearances with men on base, not necessarily runners in scoring position, right, just right even on men base. on base, and he's certainly want him doing that a lot more, right? Because that's when he can start doing a lot more of damage. So, you know, he hasn't had a lot of opportunities. If that's not happening, that's not setting up the top of the lineup once it turns over for success. And I think if they can get a little bit more on base from the bottom of their lineup, and then that's going to create more opportunities for the top, and then the lineup can cycle through a little bit more, as opposed to what it's largely been, which has been either scratching or clawing for one or two, or maybe getting a big hit here and there, and not getting much beyond that. Okay, so I saw some of Blue Jays' Twitter being and moaning about Santiago Espinal still being in the eight spot. Might that be the reason that Charlie wants to see someone get on base in the bottom half of that lineup, or the bottom third? Yeah, I think to some degree. And look, I think the way that they're set up now, they're starting to resemble a little bit more what they expected. You know, Alejandro Kirk is starting to pick things up a little bit, so they want him a bit higher. You know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is going to hit in his spot. Uh, you know, Matt Chapman is a guy whose track record says he should be hitting up higher. So I think for those reasons that, you know, they're getting to where they wanted to be and how they wanted to be set up. Uh, and I, I think there's a, some merit to sort of trying to ride who's hot and trying to play different combinations. But I, I think one other thing that Charlie Montoya said, which I thought was interesting, mm -hmm. was that if you start like going crazy with your lineup, especially with the top but elsewhere too, and us constantly moving things, you know that sends a message to your players that, oh, we're panicking here, we're really nervous, we don't trust this, mm -hmm. we're trying to create. I think what the Blue Jays are trying to convey is that, yeah, this is all going to sort itself out you know we've uh the blue jays i think by and large are pretty happy with a lot some of their offensive production uh it's really the issue has been hitting with runners in scoring position if that starts changing then i think you'll see a lot of the other stuff even out and they'll start resembling a bit more the team we expected them to be was there things that people saw in yusei kikuchi the last time out against the yankees that may be the key to being a different yusei kikuchi than we saw in his first few starts yeah, definitely. I think that 
start was sort of what the Blue Jays have been preaching him to do. And, you know, he'd come in as a guy who relied very heavily on his cutter. And the Blue Jays have been convincing him to essentially ditch the cutter or turn it more into a slider. And they've gotten essentially in between what his old slider used to be and what his cutter used to be. You know, the old slider was low 80s. Uh, it spun around the zone and, you know, if it was in the box too much, it would get hit really hard. The cutter didn't move a ton, and when it was too much in the box, then it would get hit very hard. And essentially, they've got a slider now that's at a speed between the two pitches, roughly 85-88. It had more horizontal vertical break to it. Uh, in the zone, it was sort of landing in between the, the other two pitches, and they think that's going to tunnel really well off his fastball. And watching for that pitch and how effective and consistent he is with that pitch is really essentially going to be the key to him. I think the Blue Jays have a little bit of a vision where, you know, if he can start getting to his fastball up with a, that sort of good 95-plus velocity, pairing it with that slider, mixing in his changeup split, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. you know, that could be a really good repertoire and sort of along the lines of what they did with Robbie Ray the past couple of seasons. All right, 90 seconds left here. Are you more surprised the Yankees are three games up in the division or that the Red Sox are ten and a half back? Ooh, good question. I don't think what the Yankees are doing is totally surprising. Maybe, again, the route that they've gotten there. You know, I think Nestor Cortez has given them a lot more of the rotation that they might have expected and helped ease some of the burden on their bullpen. And offensively, they haven't slugged the way they are. I felt the Red Sox were due for some regression, but not to this uh, not to this degree so far. So I'll go with Red Sox. Uh, but I do think the the route that the Yankees have taken to get all their wins are sort of like the Blue Jays. You know, they they've pitched in defense their yeah. uh, their way there a bit more than we might have predicted. Although the big boys are doing okay. And speaking of big boys, we only got about 45 seconds left here. But Josh Naylor, go eight RBI. Like the guy's been really good for Cleveland. Canadian. Yeah, he's been great. Yeah, he's been great at, you know, matching Jason Bay, who had an 8-RBI day back a, a long time ago. Uh, yeah, it's a great to see his emergence, great to see him healthy again. Uh, but you're seeing a lot of uh, really good swings from him, a lot of the quality they shows. I think about that double down the line on Thursday night against yeah. the Jays. Just as hideous a swing as you can see, but that's really his talent showing through, and he's getting an opportunity with Cleveland and certainly making the most of it. I loved it, too, down that line with two strikes, too. I think it was an 0-2 count when he flipped it down the line. Just great hitting. Love to see it. Uh, Shai, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Uh, there is Shai Davidi at Pleasure. Yankee Anytime. Stadium uh, covering the Jays and Yankees. Two-game series with a little bit of a delay between both Shai and <laughs> And when you're trying to get in the last, you know, like you like your question, 25 though. seconds. Yeah, you gave me yeah. a good question. I love thing. that. Yeah. yeah. I take that. I put it in the back pocket for a second. Uh, Leafs. Oilers, big games tonight. In fact, big games across the NHL. We'll break them all down next. I'm Tim and Friends. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Back here, final half hour on Tim and Friends. Justin Bourne will join us shortly ahead of a huge night on the ice and off as well. We've only got a half an hour left because at 6.30 Eastern time, 
NHL Draft Lottery is on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. The Montreal Canadiens have the best odds to land the first overall pick, which in all probability will be Shane Wright. 18.5% for the Habs getting number one. See the drama in a half an hour following us on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Then Hockey Central takes over. Seven Eastern Game 5. From Toronto, Edmonton also on tap. Sportsnet 360 has American doubleheader, pivotal game fives all over the joint. We start with the Leafs. We'll try and bounce back from that crushing game four loss, knowing that 79% of the teams that win game five in a 2-2 series go on to win that series. The Leafs go with the same players as game four, but will split up John Tavares and William Nylander up front. That's right, Justin Hall remains in. His D partner, Mark Giordano, has been through it all and had this to say about tonight's pivotal game number five. You got to look at the opportunity we have as a team. I mean, we're playing, a, obviously, a team that's won back-to-back years, Stanley Cup champs, um, a great team. So we're in a pretty good spot, I would say, uh, going into game five with home ice advantage tied in the series. All right, we always promise you the latest and greatest going into these games, so let's head down to Scotiabank Arena now, check in with Sean McKenzie, who has more on tonight's game. Mr. McKenzie among his people, what's going on? Well, Tim, you heard the Maple Leafs say it there. They're excited for the opportunity, and on paper, why wouldn't they be there? Tied two games apiece with the defending Stanley Cup champions, a best of three now on home ice. So life is good for the Maple Leafs, and all these fans should be thrilled and not the least bit nervous. Well, it's not exactly the case because, <laughs> yes, they are excited, but this morning felt a little bit different in the media scrums. It feels a little bit different in the city right now. There seems to be some tension, and the Maple Leafs have been open and honest that they know that they have earned that expectation. And they have earned that pressure with their past failures. And there's lots of nitpicking going on right now. And one of the victims of that has been Justin Hall. People looking at that first shift against the Lightning and really dissecting it. Sheldon Keith, those you mentioned, going right back to him in this game. And here's what he had to say defending his defenseman. I watched the game back the other night. And uh, to me, the Jordano Hall pairing was as good a pairing we had. And, and I've watched the game back three times now. And Halsey's a driver of that. Been a great. Uh... A great player for us all year. Doesn't get the love he deserves. Um, been saying it for a long time. I think he's a great defenseman. Does a lot of great things for us. He's huge on the penalty kill when he gets out there. He's not afraid to step up and eat a block from a big, big name guy. So um, he made a lot of great plays last game, and uh, you know he's done great for us when he's in this lineup. Lots of defending of Justin Hall, as you heard there, which may be fair. He's not exactly a guy that'll blow you away with his skill or big moments, but when you look at the numbers and the reason Sheldon Keefe is keeping him ahead of Timothy Lilligren is there are lots of advanced stats that suggest that he has been the better pairing, the better partner with Mark Giordano. Now, that is a debate, a debate I'm sure that is being waged on Twitter. I'm sure it's being waged amongst these fans, and I'm sure it's a debate we could have for hours and hours, but we won't. Unless you want to have me on for hours and hours, I'm, I'm available and free. Why, why the hell is Faisal Kamisa over your left shoulder? <laughs> uh, oh, that is so awesome. And see, he tweeted he was going to wear shorts, and my suggestion was like, yeah, you can wear shorts, but why would you? Yeah. I think it was all for attention. He's, he's wearing jeans oh, with yeah. rips. He paid, what, do you get those jeans half off, Faisal, because they're ripped? Ha ha. Ha, yeah. That's my, that's my, old, stop us that's my old man joke. <laughs> By the way, he stepped up to talk to you and security stopped him. Congratulate security for us. Can you, can, can you stop that man? 
Thanks, Sean. Appreciate you, buddy. We love you, Faisal. There is uh, Faisal Kamisa and Sean McKenzie. That was awesome. You got the Heisman there. Okay. That's too good. He was unrelenting. Security guard was not having it. Well, they Sorry, were yelling guys. and screaming before Sean yeah. came on. They didn't want that. That's too you know, good. Riff raff. Guy deserves a raise. Breaking down McKenzie. <laughs> doing his job. Awesome. Uh, all right. The Oilers hosting the Kings tonight in another crucial game five. It is on Sportsnet and CBC. 10-20 Eastern, 8-20 Mountain coming off. Hey, shutout loss in game four. Jay Woodcroft shuffle lines a little bit. Here we go. Top line features Connor McDavid, Vander Kane this time. Kyler Yamamoto will step on the wing. Ryan McLeod will play wing on the second line with Drysaddle and Hyman. On Nugent Hopkins gets Archibald and Jesse Puyayarvi. Derek Ryan returns to the lineup and centers the fourth line. Here's Woodcroft on the changes. Sometimes... Uh... It, um, when you didn't play the way you wanted to, you shuffled the deck chairs, and that's what we did today. You know, when you, you, you have a performance like Game 4 and, and you don't get the result you're looking for, I would think you'd expect changes and obviously some a few little tweaks here and there, and we're looking for a bit of a spark. With more on the Kings and the Oilers, let's go from Scotiabank Arena to Rogers Place and the return. Oh, look at this. Ju- Gino's juggling. I get it. I understand it. You're Woodcroft. This show's off the rails. <laughs> You're not a very good juggler, though. <laughs> no, I know. I can only- hang on. Hang on. I'll try two again. I can only go with two. I was trying three today, but that's, that's as good as I can get. Ah, get out of here. Nah, I bad. can't juggle. I can't juggle. Um, but Jay Woodcroft is open. He can juggle his lineup. Uh, you know, Tim, I, I love what you just ran uh, between the coach and the captain. And Jay Woodcroft today, uh, just kind of watching him, First, discussing the changes and understanding that, you know, they got shut out. But when they lost the opener of the series, they did score three goals. I don't even think he made one change uh, to the lineup. He kind of right. kept it, and it worked, right? Because they, they were able to record uh, big wins in Game 2 and Game 3. But he really did not like the fact they got beat and got shut out. And today, he was fantastic. He wasn't uh, overly uh, talkative with the media when he was asked, uh, what do you want to see tonight? I'd like to see a win, right? I mean, he's in that sort of mindset. And I think if you're, uh, you know, the players, you see what he's angling towards and how focused he is. And I, I think that rubs off on the team i just have to believe that here's a young guy who's proven himself in a short time and he's taken this like every round is a stanley cup and i i like his motivation i like his leadership if that's the right term from a coach along with the tweaking of the lines he ends up you guys went through it he ends up impacting every single line with just some minor moves it's not taking a bunch of guys out and bringing a bunch of guys in now uh talk about juggling there was some thought that after the way it went things went in game two and three that maybe Jonathan Quick would be juggled right out of the lineup. But here's a guy that's won Stanley Cups in 2012 and 2014. Cal Peterson might be his time next season or the season after. But, again, Todd McClellan, here's a guy. I mean, if you're going to lose and or going to win, you're going to do it with a guy who's already proven he is a winner in this league. And I love the fact that he came back. I mean, your other fans, you don't like to see it. But from a story standpoint, he's on the, you know, he's almost out of it pulled out of the game, comes back, records a shutout, and it was interesting listening to some of the young Kings talk about him today. And he's really revered by the older and younger players. And one of them, where is it? Right here. This is what they called him. They called him a rock star. (laughs) So we'll see if he is again tonight. 
Uh, from one rock star, Jonathan, quick to another one. Tim, back to you, buddy. <laughs> Thank Great you, Gino. Always appreciate what you bring to the table each and every time. Rockstar Gene Principe uh, providing the latest from Edmonton as the two ageless wonders. Let's be honest, Jonathan Quick and Mike Smith. We'll see who comes out on top and whoever plays better could get them there. Speaking of goaltenders, the finalists for the Vesna Trophy were announced today. Flames Jacob Markstrom is a finalist for the first time in the first Flames since Mika Kiprasov in 06-07. Other finalists, of course, Igor Shosturkin, who is the heavy betting favorite. And let's be honest, the guy who's going to win it. And the Preds, UC Soros, who didn't get into the postseason. The winner will be announced later in the playoffs. All right, our next guest joins us despite being in COVID protocols from the home studio. This is, <laughs> hey, look at Justin Bourne. Wow. That is, now that is putting Gino to shame. And it looks like you have your own custom, and I'm going to be careful with this, juggling balls. <laughs> oh, they're mine or custom, but I do have balls for juggling, yes. <laughs> um, do you, can you, is there more than three? Can you add another yeah. to them? Like, you look like you were pretty skilled at juggling there. Not a chance. No, you know, I got them and I intended to learn how to do four. It's just out of my league. I can't do it. I understand. Um, are you surprised there wasn't more juggling in the lineup of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Because we saw Gino juggling, Sean McKenzie, I don't know if he could juggle, but did not do anything of the sort as Sheldon Keefe kind of stayed put. Did that surprise you? Uh, you know, not entirely. Like, I know Sheldon well enough to know that He's going to dress the lineup that he believes gives them the best chance to win. And I know there's just this, like, clamoring among Leafs fans where when you don't win, you want to see something different. Like, how do you do nothing in the face of a loss? But, like, it, this lineup is their best – There gives them the best chance. It's not a, a, season, or sorry, a series that suits Wayne Simmons right now. It's not a series that suits uh, Clifford. Justin Hall was very good in that fourth game. And I know a lot of people got hung up on uh, a turnover, a slow start, whatever – you know, there was a 60-minute game, and he was a good player for him. So I'm not surprised. I really like the look of their fourth line. I think it gives them a lot of utility in terms of, you know, moving guys up and down if certain guys aren't going. Do you think the beatdown in Tampa inspires the Leafs? I don't know. You know, this is a team that every time things seem to be at their worst and it's time to break them up and, you know, the embarrassment of David Ayers or they get beat by Buffalo a bunch or whatever, whenever you count them out, they're very good. You know, we know they can raise their level and play with the best teams in the NHL. So I expect a lot better effort tonight. I, I really do. And I also think that, you know, we're due for an Austin Matthews game or a Mitch Marner game or John Tavares. These guys have been okay, and it's a 2-2 series. I still think we're kind of waiting for that moment. And I, you know, there's no guarantee it ever comes. But, you know, Kyle Dubas has doubled and tripled and quadrupled down that he believes in this group. He believes it's going to come. If it's going to happen, it's going to be over the next three games. And, and I'm with him in that, and that I expect to see someone come through with a big performance. Is it worrying that they need the, the inspiration of a David Ayers game or a Buffalo game? Like, <laughs> I just, to me, it was jaw dropping that they came out flat with an opportunity to take a stranglehold in this series against the two time defending cup champs who we all know don't lose back to back games. Like, you had to match the intensity. And it was near jaw-dropping that they didn't. Like, is it at all worrying that this bounce-back game seems to keep popping up for the Leafs? Yeah, you know, I guess it's worrying. Well, I mean, it's definitely worrying, but it's also just confirming, I think, what we already knew. Like, They are who we thought I they were. I don't want to say that this team, 
Yeah, well, basically, it's not that they want it to be easy necessarily. It's just like when they've had an excuse to sort of, you know, let off the throttle a little bit, they do. And, you know, we listen to the press conferences at the end of last season and Kyle Dubas gets up there and says, we didn't have killer instincts, we've got to learn to have it. And Brendan Shanahan says killer instinct. And the year before, Patrick Marlowe says they didn't have killer instinct. You know, we're kind of, this has been this group. When they get up, they can't choke teams out. So we'll find out. We'll see if this is a group. They have a little bit of runway here to figure it out. But I guess it's concerning, but it's just not surprising because it's just more of what we've seen from, uh, from them in the past. One and eight when having a series lead over the last. Is it as simple as hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard? Or is that oversimplifying? You can say it. Tell me. Tell me I'm oversimplifying. Well, it is oversimplifying, yes. It's obviously a lot more than that, but there is merit to it. It's not like, you know, that that's totally empty. There's something there. It's a playoff game, though, and I don't think anyone's accusing these guys of not trying, per se, although some people may quibble with a certain player who, you know, you guys tweeted about last game, Willie Nylander. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think for them the pressure has become real where they just haven't lived up to the moment. And, you know, when you start to get uncomfortable and you start to feel it happening again, things start to tighten up. So it's almost like a a cycle of events where it's, you know, it it just feeds on itself. They're going to have to break out of at some point. You keep a game close, you get a balance, it's hockey, and hopefully they can find their way through and believe that they've broken some sort of curse. All right, we're we're jamming a two-hour show into a 90-minute show, so I'm going to ask you about the other series as well. What what was the difference between the Oilers in games two and three and then who showed up in game four, or was that just a bad start? Well, you know, it's tough to really pinpoint exactly the difference, but it's it sure seems to come down to the superstars and, and fighting through the, the best guys on the other side, the defensive players. So, um, you know, it, it does remind me in some ways of the Toronto series when McDavid and Dreisaitl are finding their way to, to get on the score sheet. The Everyone around them seems to believe more and feed off it and, you know, they, they when those guys don't have pucks going in the net, it seems to make all the difference. Did Calgary, speaking of pucks going in the net, did they finally burst the dam, or is it foolish to try and predict things right now because the whole uh, Stanley Cup playoffs has been jaw-dropping in its ebbs and flows? Yeah, you know what? This one actually feeds into all of the things that have previously burned me when it comes to making predictions. <laughs> yes. I bet against Dallas all the way to almost winning the Cup two years ago. <laughs> Last year, I bet on the Flames all the way to them being terrible. But I believe in the Flames. I don't believe in the Stars. That hasn't changed. You know, they thumped them last game. It wasn't a particularly close match, even though the score was. So I, I really believe that Calgary has found their way through in this series. And uh, th- this should be it. I still expect a six-game series out of this one. Is this is this Ottinger doing the Hadobin to you too like all I can think of is like I would have bet against the stars too um but like Ottinger has been unbelievable and maybe we're starting to rethink uh why he was a first round pick and maybe he should have been higher on the depth chart than fourth to start the year I don't know, man. Just that goaltending is weird now. You know, going into the playoffs, you know, who would you have expected the best goaltenders to have been? You know, yeah, is Shesterkin going to be that guy? He hasn't been. Vasilevsky, everyone thinks he's the best goaltender on earth, and I'm I'm in that group too. But it's not like he hasn't been scored on throughout this series. Then you got Ottinger, who's lighting it up. You know, it's just goaltending is strange. These guys are all very, very good now at the NHL level. If someone's feeling a little bit or they're getting slightly better defense, any goaltender can stop the puck these days so it's never a surprise anymore when a second string guy or third string guy comes in and and plays well for a handful of games appreciate you joining us in covid protocols nonetheless uh you're a trooper (laughs) my dude 
Anytime. Thanks, man. And juggling, too. That was pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. No, uh, I have a, a tweet for that. Um, Leafs Nation Cav writes in and says, today's episode might win a daytime Emmy. Just based on all the craziness that's just happened been in the last lot, 10 minutes. There, there's been a lot going on here, yeah. and we embrace that here on yes. Tim and Friends. Uh, from Faisal Kamisa getting the Heisman to Gino <laughs> juggling and then being one-ups. Yes. Let's be honest. By yeah, he had break. personalized. Oh, yeah, he had custom balls. Balls. Time yeah. for a break. When we come back, we'll get to more balls. The NHL draft lottery. That's, that's the balls that I'm talking about. Ping pong balls. What'd you think? Sam Cosentino will also sit down with expected first overall pick Shane Wright. Tim and friends. You know Turkaloo's favorite show. Ball. Just minutes away from sending you to the NHL draft lottery. 16 teams and face ba- fan bases, excuse me, awaiting their fate. Got it good and since you understand. Maybe I should get it in good. And since I understood, they're all praying for that number one overall pick, at least those that can get it. Shane Wright has long been projected to go first overall. And recently, Sam Cosentino caught up with him. Here's evidence. Are you reading the stuff like idiots like me, right? And looking at the rankings? You have no choice, I would assume, but to look at it or to be engaged in it in some manner. I look at it, yeah, I don't really put too much thought into it or don't put too much weight on it because obviously, no offense to you you guys making them, but <laughs> yeah. in the long term, they really don't mean as, as much. Um, try you not, can say it. Try no, not to offend you no, too no, much. No, no, you can say it to me. It's okay. I really don't care about them. Shane Wright, a 16-year-old who was granted exceptional status by the CHL when he was 15, just the sixth player in CHL history to be done so. He's not exceptional at one thing. He's unbelievable at everything captain on and off the ice no matter where you are hey we gotta go we gotta go Mer. one thing about shane is the wow factor he just does so many things so well shane wright will take over left circle right he tries to sneak one in scores he just does everything so well uh, each and every game he's a big body he's extremely mature for him to be as mature as he is it's really uh, you know a total package from a player standpoint Take it back to your rookie year, 39 goals, things are going pretty much the way they should for someone of your talents. What were you thinking after that year? I was just thinking, I'm living the dream here. Played the right, shoots, scores. Shane Wright's first career hat trick in the OHL. After that year, I was pretty happy and pretty proud of myself with, with you know, my performance and, and how I played and um, how, how much I grew as a person and a player as well. Not just on the ice, but off ice as well. You know, living away from home and having to do things on my own. You know, really proud of myself for all that and proud of you know, where I've come since then as well. What's one thing people don't know about, about Shane Wright? I think something that people don't know about me is I actually have a, I can be pretty fun at times. I think... <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because you have that reputation of being dialed in. So, yeah. so you can be a fun guy. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, from, from people looking on the outside, you probably assume that you know, I'm a pretty pretty focused, pretty serious guy, but I think the guys on my team can, can say that I can be a pretty fun guy and can uh, you know laugh a lot with them and, and have a lot of fun and, and joke around. Now you got pressure on you. Oh, that was good. On the ice, you see see that serious side of him just because like he just wants to win all the time but behind the scenes when the cameras are off mics are off he's a fun guy he always has that smile on his face he's always making jokes unbelievable kid his poise playing in this league has been outstanding this is a situation where he's just ahead of his time as far as growth physically and mentally 
You're so mature, and obviously, youngest captain in CHL history here in Kingston. Where does that stuff come from? I think it's just something that, that I've developed throughout the years. I think it's just, you know, that, that's the type of person I am. I've always been a mature guy, and I think that leads to leadership. As a leader, you have to be going every single night. You have to make sure that you're doing everything right because those guys are watching. They're feeding off what you do, so if you're not going, then they're not going to be going as well. We've had a couple games where we've went in after the first, and we've been down a goal, and he... He's like, listen up, boys. We know we're the better team here. We got to focus and dial in and play our way. And after that, we ended up winning some of those games. So I think it's because of his leadership. All eyes are on him. The projected number one draft pick in 2022, the captain of the Kingston Frontenacs, the number one name on the marquee around the OHL this season. How much do you think about the draft day? I definitely think about it. That's for sure. Uh, it's definitely something that I'm. Um, I'm aware of is something I'm looking forward to. Right now, I really need to focus on the present. I can't be caught up too much in the future and what's going to happen in the future because um, I have to worry about what's happening now and what's happening with Kingston and um, you know, just making sure that I'm doing everything right and um, you know, the, the rest is going to take care of itself. One thing I'll say about Shane is that he is a 90% and above student, so he takes his life seriously. So he's mentally mature and physically mature enough to you know, take on the rigors of what professional hockey brings. You know, He'll be fine with that transition. You're a nice guy, but you're a competitive guy. How driven are you to be number one on that day? I believe that's where I, I should go. I believe that I'm the best player. I believe that you know throughout my play, throughout my entire life, it has shown that I'm the best player and I'm a competitive guy and I want to be that spot and um, I don't want anyone to take that from me. And I believe that I'm deserving to be that number one spot and I believe that I'm going to be the first pick. Shane Wright in Kingston, uh, Logan Cooley, the USA National Development Team. A lot of people saying that, listen, Shane Wright last year had a real tough year just staying on the ice, and I think that had something to do with why the gap was closed. But I, I firmly believe that a lot of people saw that first year, know exactly what he's about, and he'll probably be first overall. And he's a fun guy, like Kawhi. Don't put that on him. In just a few uh, minutes right here on Sportsnet, we will have our answer as to who will be the first pick, uh, who will pick first in the 2022 NHL entry draft. Don't want to get ahead of myself. With a chance to select Shane Wright. Two Canadian teams have a chance at number one. Ottawa is at 6.5%, while Montreal has the best chance with an 18.5% chance. So, Tim, is it going to be a good night for the Habs tonight? 18.5%. a lot. But the NHL changed the rules on the draft lottery after the 2020 draft, in which the Detroit Red Wings, who had the worst record in the league, ended up picking fourth overall. That team is Montreal this year. They can pick no worse than third overall now. But this is the draft, and almost nothing is guaranteed. In fact, in 2017 and 2019, the NHL's worst record ended up picking fourth. Both times, it was the Avs who owned the pick. They had their own pick in 2017 and the Sens pick in 19. Three years ago, they took Bowen Byram fourth overall. And in 2017, they got Cal McCarr after Nico Heischer, mm. Nolan Patrick, and Miro Heiskinen went. Montreal picks no worse than third. But what I'm trying to tell you is sometimes the best pick in the draft can come from unexpected places and you just got to do your due diligence and get the right pick and sometimes that comes from anywhere yep. sometimes it comes from first overall as well it's where the front office can make hey okay uh, leaf fans pretty nervous uh, about tonight what do you think the leafs need to do uh, to win this game i think uh, i think sj got it for us on twitter did oh, yeah? you see the tweet from sj no, no. Uh, sj called it right when he said basically they need their defense to do the job uh, and the defense was shown 
<laughs> by the security <laughs> guard behind. That's very good. Sean McKenzie. Well done. I got another one. Leafs defense needs <laughs> to really be good. as good or as on point as the security guards. I got tonight. that one too. Sean McKenzie because of That's the Undertaker. Brilliant. I got Vinny to laugh. Awesome. All right, that does it for us. Jamie Hirsch, Kevin Weeks are standing by with the NHL Draft Lottery Show. Then it's Ron McLean and Hockey Central ahead of another great night of playoff action. Four games on the network, including massive game fives in Toronto and Edmonton. The Jays, if you're looking for them, Sportsnet 1. You have yourself a great night. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. NFL Draft Lottery, now.